inquire all those questions you've always wanted to know. Ask Katie anything. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Ask Katie Anything. I am your host, licensed marriage and family therapist, Katie Morton. And today our topic, if you didn't know, each podcast now has more of a theme so that the questions are based around a specific topic mental illness, whatever. And today's uh, theme is eating disorders. So eating disorder treatment, uh, different types of eating disorders, recovery, all sorts of stuff like that. And so without further ado, let's jump into the first question. Mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. This question says, hey, Katie, happy Thursday. Happy Thursday. It says, is it possible to form an eating disorder on purpose? Hmm. Recently, I started tracking calories and I'm really focused on losing weight. When I eat too much, I feel really bad and sometimes I try to purge, even though I usually don't manage and I feel even more useless afterwards. I think I still have it under control, but at the same time, I know that my behavior is not normal. You are correct. I, um, couple, a couple of months ago, I couldn't care less about what I ate and I spent no time thinking about it. But then when I started noticing the changes, I didn't even want to stop it, even though I realized immediately what was going on. I have loads of psychology classes in my university. In therapy, we discovered that I have no self-discipline at all, and that's why I can't get anything done for university. Now it's almost like I want to prove myself and maybe to my therapist that I do have discipline and that I can lose weight really fast if I want to. Also, my depression and self-harm urges have gone down a lot since I started this eating disorder behavior. So I feel better somehow. Is this because the eating disorder is a coping skill and focusing on food and what I eat gives me some kind of control over myself? Let's get into that. I don't want to tell my therapist about it because I think that he'll make me stop. That's interesting. And then I will gain weight again. Also, I may become worse in my depression again, question mark. Thank you so much for everything. Excuse me. Um... Okay, there's, and there's comments on this as well, but let's just one thing at a time. Is it possible to form an eating disorder on purpose? The short answer is yes, because an eating disorder does serve a purpose, right? It's a coping skill. It's a distraction. It's a numb out. The, it exists for a reason. And even if we're not really conscious of why we've developed one, we have developed it for a purpose. Does that make sense? And so technically, yes, we can develop an eating disorder on purpose because our brain and body need it to, you know, like I said, numb out, distract, cope, whatever. Now, the interesting thing about this specific question is that it's kind of tied to, it's it's tied a little bit to our self-harm, it sounds like, and also our depression and the fact that we've been struggling at university. And I don't believe that you don't have any self-discipline or, you know, that that's not, I don't think that's why you can't get things done. I think it's because you're depressed. I think depression, if we don't keep track of it or pay attention to it or treat it properly, it can take away all of our motivation, which could look like self-discipline. 
depression makes things that we used to like not enjoyable anymore it makes small acts of like showering and getting ready for class seem overwhelming and exhausting even i mean many of my of our members of our community but also my patients have told me that just like feeding yourself regularly is, is exhausting and it's too much work if we're depressed and we can't sleep there's a lot of things think of the symptoms of depression concentration difficulties changes in appetite and changes in sleep and uh, anhedonia, which is lack of interest in things, feeling depressed, you know, most days, all days, suicidal thoughts. Those are very, that's just run of the mill depressed, depressive symptoms. And it sounds to me like your eating disorder and probably your self injury. I wouldn't be surprised if they don't just, you know, teeter totter back and forth. They are helping you numb out from the depressive symptoms that are so debilitating. And I'm sure that also comes up with a lot of self hatred and all those ruminating thoughts we have when we're depressed about like, you're so lazy and stupid, blows so helpful, right? But the eating disorder behavior is just another way to cope with how you feel instead of acknowledging how you feel, processing it, maybe getting different types of treatment for it, whether that be cognitive behavioral therapy or otherwise known as CBT, you know, helping us track our thoughts and argue back against some of those unhelpful or unhealthy thoughts with some bridge statements. Um, You know, there's some behavioral techniques, whether that be taking care of our basic needs so we're not as vulnerable to those, you know, um, to those emotions or urges to do certain things. Anyway, or it could be medication, right? So we might just need a different type of treatment or, or better treatment for our depression because I think the eating disorder is a coping skill to help you manage this shit talking you're doing from your depression. And also, um, your, you said how your depression and self-harm urges have gone down since you've been using your eating disorder. So essentially, we're just trading one coping skill for another. Now, I know I don't talk a ton about how depression can be a coping skill, but it also has similar, it can have similar um, attributes, just like eating disorder, self-injury, right? Mental illness isn't just it's like think of mental illness the same way you think of physical illness right if i get pneumonia it's because i have an infection in my lungs now i'm not a doctor so i'm sure there's a lot more to it but there's fluid in your lungs and you have an infection and it you know is slowly decreasing my lung capacity now think of a mental illness just the same is like depression happens because we have lower dopamine and serotonin and um uh, what's the other one? I'm going to forget. There's dopamine, oxytocin, serotonin, and there's endorphins. So those are pretty much all your feel-good hormones and chemicals in your brain. We don't have enough of those. We start to feel depressed. Just like I um, you know, don't have enough to fight the infection in my lungs, I get pneumonia. And so depression can still be a way to kind of cope with the fact that we don't have all of the hormone, the higher levels that we need, and we don't have the energy to seek them out seek out things that could increase that. Is that making sense? I hope so. I don't want to get too much off topic, but either way, to the person who asked this question, yes, eating disorders serve a purpose. Therefore, we can have one on purpose. Um, And I think that your eating disorder is just yet another way to cope with your depression and your self-harm urges. And now like it's wrapped up in what I would call an like kind of a branch of your depression is this like, I don't have self-discipline, which I think is just more shit talking. And I don't understand why your therapist would say that to you and agree with that because my framing of it would be it sounds like your depression has robbed you of your self-discipline or has made your motivation hard to come by so we need to take more aggressive forms of treatment for that but i think that it is just another coping skill and 
I would definitely tell your therapist about it. I find it interesting that you don't want them to know because you don't want to stop, which proves even more so that, you know, this eating disorder has taken hold and it's obviously a way to cope. Because when we're using something to cope, we don't want someone to take it from us. That's why addiction, self-injury, and addiction comes in many forms, gambling, sex, shopping, etc. Um, but eating disorder, self-injury fall into the same kind of, don't take it from me. It's the only way I know how to deal with what, what's happening inside of me. And so that is very telling. You don't want to tell them and you don't want them to take it away. And the the interesting correlation or connection you've attempted to make, which I want to just push back and say is not really true, is that if you stop, then you'll gain weight and your depression could become worse again. Now, your depression is still there. You're just numbing out. I think that we we try to get ourselves to believe that our self-injury or our eating disorder behavior actually makes things better. When I'm here to tell you that's not true at all. That'd be like having pneumonia. Let's just stick with the same illness. Having pneumonia and taking a cough drop and being like, well, you know, it helps soothe a little. I don't cough as much. Or I guess a better example would be like, mm, a better example would be I have a head cold, super congested, and I take Sudafed to make me feel better. Now, does the Sudafed actually heal me and get rid of the infection or illness? No. Does it mask the symptoms? Yes. And that's all depression, self-injury, eating disorders, like I guess less so depression, but more like addiction, self-injury, things like that, uh, eating disorder-based things. That's their job is to distract us so that we don't recognize just how bad we feel. Does it make us better? No. Does it give us something else to put our energy into? Yes. Does that make sense? I hope so. Okay. Now, if you hear it rumbling, it's because we have thunder and lightning happening outside, which is kind of exciting. I kind of like the sound. Okay. And let's move on to a comment on this. It said, I was wondering if it's possible to form one on purpose. Also, yes. I remember being exposed to eating disorder fandoms. I know, insane, in the sixth grade. I remember back in the day when I first started my YouTube channel, there was a ton of like thin spo pro Anna type sites. And it was really shameful that that existed for, and it, it still does. I'm sure. Um, people were just shocked that it was online. And I was like, I'm not really shocked, but I'm just disappointed. Okay. So saw eating disorder fandoms in sixth grade and it made me want one. I would eat very little. And now four years later, I'm anorexic. I know I did this to myself, but why? Is it seriously possible to give yourself an eating disorder because you want to? I feel so shameful about it because what kind of person would choose to live like this? The the truth about this is that choosing to have an eating disorder isn't something that someone who wasn't having issues already would choose. Meaning I've watched, I've been in the eating disorder world for how long, you guys? Years and years and years. I've watched almost every show, film, uh, looked at pro sites back in the day, all sorts of things. Um, and I don't have an eating disorder. Now that I'm not saying like, and I don't have any, like doesn't, I'm not, it's not like, oh, look at me. I'm so amazing. It's more the fact that the only reason we have eating disorders, self-injury, addictions of any kind is because we need to cope with something. This something could be 
um, abuse in childhood. It could be emotional neglect, which also is abuse, but I'm just giving different versions, like emotional neglect from our parents. It could be we have an addict in our family and we feel like we don't get as much attention because of that. It could be that um, there's a lot of pressure from, we have like helicopter parents and they want us to get, you know, straight A's on everything and they're all over us all the time. It could be that we, you know, struggle with self-esteem and have been like bullied as a kid. There's a lot of reasons that we could want to develop something like that and not saying want in the same way that like, oh, I, I want to go for a walk. It's like, I need to cope and I don't have the tools to cope. And so I'm going to use what I, what I know, which is myself. That's the thing. When we feel like our world is out of control, I think that's why a lot of people attach eating disorders to control. It's not as clear as that. Like, oh, it just gives me a sense of control. But when things in our life are out of control, which spoilers, the only thing we can control is ourselves. So inevitably the rest of our life is out of our control. But when things start to feel wild, meaning uh, things at home don't feel stable, there's no consistency, there can be a lot of different things that come up, right? Where we don't have quote unquote control. Now that lack of control can lead to us trying to control ourselves. That can be where people become very disciplined, meaning we have to exercise a certain way or we have to eat a certain way and we can develop an eating disorder as a means of kind of giving ourselves some consistency or some control, something that we can do about ourselves again, because we're all that we can control. And it can come out in binge eating, it can come out in exercise addiction, it can come out in addiction to drugs and alcohol, it can come out in self-injury, Whatever we can do with ourselves to help us feel better, we're going to do. And so the fact that you like watched some of these uh, eating disorders or were exposed to some of these eating disorder fandoms doesn't mean that you like chose it. It means that you needed something because I'm sure there were a lot of other kids at your age at 16 or in sixth grade, I guess, which would have been, that's not 16, it's like what, 12? So 11 or 12 a lot of people were exposed to that and not all of them developed eating disorders. Why? Because not everyone needed a thing to help them numb out or cope. Okay. Now there was a follow-up on this and it said very, um, oh, let me make sure I answered. I know, uh, I know I did this myself, but why? Yeah. You needed something, some way to cope. And there's no shame in that. We all have reasons that we try to cope and things that we try to do. You're just trying to survive. So give yourself a little pat on the back for surviving. And now Let's move forward and find you healthier, better ways to cope. Now, another comment on this said, very interesting. I'm also wondering how self-discipline, oh, also wondering how self-discipline impacts our eating disorders. For example, if someone with low self, is someone with low self-discipline safer from getting to a critical point in, for example, anorexia and more prone to binging? Sorry if this sounds bad or triggering. I don't mean to offend anyone. I'm just wondering if that correlates statistically. Um, not really. Again, self-discipline isn't, I would not, I guess you could connect to eating disorders, but I really don't. I think a lot of times our self-discipline is just another way to cope. It's that kind of seeking some control, some order in our life, and it can affect us in a lot of ways. Now, people with low self-discipline could be more, I just don't find it attached to binging. I find I find it more personality based, although eating disorders are shapeshifters. You can, you can have anorexia and binge eating disorder go into bulimia. I've had patients run the gamut of different eating disorders and had nothing to do with their discipline level. It had everything to do with their urge, uh, 
or I guess impulse to control things and they're feeling that things were out of control and their inability to acknowledge why the eating disorder existed or not even inability, just like maybe, I guess inability is the right word, but it's like they weren't ready to see it. Do you know what I mean? Sometimes we we aren't ready to admit to ourselves why we're doing something or how something makes us feel. And the longer we kind of ignore that and like, la, 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 I'm not ready, the longer we will struggle with whatever we're using to cope, whether that's eating disorders, addiction, things like that. So I find that uh, we tend to be anorexic. If, if anorexia is what we struggle with, we tend to be anorexic in other parts of our life. A lot of my anorexics struggle to buy things for themselves, to take care of themselves, to enjoy a healthy sex life. They tend to be very um, restricted in that way. So joy in their life is restricted. Um, sexual intimacy, restricted. Uh, spending, restricted. Now, on the flip side, my binge eaters um, tend to be impulsive in those ways where they will be, I even had a patient for years, we were trying to figure out why she would get put, herself, put herself in these, what I considered very dangerous and kind of scary sexual situations where she would just meet a person and then, you know, go have sex with them and she'd regret it afterward. And there's nothing wrong with having casual sex, but this wasn't, it wasn't good for her. She didn't like it and she wished she wouldn't. It was very what we call ego dystonic, meaning, you know, she didn't feel good. She didn't like it. And so we were trying to figure out why and get dig into that. Anyways, she would like binge on things like that where she'd go through these periods of time where she'd spend a lot of money. She'd eat a lot of food, right? And she'd also be sexually promiscuous. And it's not as always directly correlated. And then there's like my bulimic patients who go through periods of both. So they'll be really, really restrictive in, you know, those areas of their life. And then they'll be very uh, binge. They'll binge on it. And Anyway, so I don't think it has so much to do with self-discipline as it does more with our personality, what we're struggling with, and what's available to us. Because a lot of my patients with one type of eating disorder will go into treatment and come out with a different one, frankly, because they could get away with doing you know X, Y, or Z behavior and not this other behaviors. And so it can kind of flip-flop and it can change because the thing we have to remember is an eating disorder is only there as a way to cope. One is not better than the other. It doesn't make us superior to have one type versus another. It doesn't, um, it actually doesn't really matter. They're all the same and they come from the same place. Okay. Now, um, final comment on this is I hope that this relates, but I noticed that it's easier for me to not cut when I'm hungry. Because of that, I have times where I eat as little as possible, but not just low calorie food. So I have this constant feeling of hunger, but I don't lose any weight. Is it better to combine unhealthy coping skills like eating disorders and self-injury, but both in a less extreme form? No, that's not better. I have the feeling that I harm my body less that way, like I wouldn't even need to go to the ER. Of course, not doing any of that would be best. Exactly. It's like you read my mind. But what should I do in the meantime? Is is it an eating disorder when even when I can stop it and go back to self-harm full-time? Yes, it's still an eating disorder. No, it's not better to do these all less extreme. I mean, you could say that because you're not harming yourself so intensely, you have to go to the ER, then maybe we're protecting ourselves from cellulitis. There's other infections we can get in our skin, which I don't even think it's really protecting us from that because you're still harming yourself. Um, And the fact your eating disorder maybe isn't causing you to lose as much weight, it doesn't mean that you're not malnourished. A lot of times we associate weight with health and that's not always the case. We can be very uh, thin and be very unhealthy, have high cholesterol, high blood pressure, all that stuff. We can be very heavy and not have those things. So it doesn't 
really correlate as directly as you think. Sure, there are some overlap and or there is some overlap and there are some ways that these do correlate, but it's not so cut and dried. It's not so black and white. And I guess my advice to you would be figuring out if you're able on your own, if you're not in therapy, I'd encourage you to get into therapy, but figuring out what purpose this serves for you. What are we numbing out from? What is it that, what what do we get out of feeling hungry? Because you're saying that then you don't have to self-injure um, or cut when you're hungry. But I would argue that you're injuring yourself in a different way by not fueling your body the way that it needs and what it's asking you to do. And so it's like we're trading a self-injury for a different self-injury. Um, but what is this helping us numb out from? That's more the what I would want you to focus on. And then I have a video, 25 Coping Skills. I encourage you to search it. Just go 25 Coping Skills, Katie Morton on YouTube. You'll find it. Pull that up and get some of those ideas from that video and in the comments and try some out. See what works for you. Some of them are process-based. Some of them are distraction-based. You're going to want a mix of both, but put that list together, give them a try and see what helps you the most. Because until we replace those unhealthy urges, they're still going to bother us. They're still going to harm us and we deserve better, right? Moving right along to question number two. Now this question says, hello, Katie. Hello. What's the difference between emotional eating and binge eating? Great question. I feel like I use food as motivation and as a reward. At the end of my days, when I get home from work or on the weekends, I will crave or eat all the sweets and snacks and food that I know isn't the healthiest. And I guess I will sometimes eat more than what is normal. But at what point is it considered binge eating versus just maladaptive, a maladaptive coping skill and using food as an escape to the stress and as a way of processing my emotions? I couldn't love a question more because the truth is there's no difference. I don't know why we started this term, maybe marketing, maybe they wanted to sell us more diet things. Emotional eating is an eating disorder, period. Think about it. Eating disorders are a coping skill, a way to numb out from the emotions that we feel. When we're feeling overwhelmed or stressed or maxed out, then we use food or lack of it to cope. There's no difference. Emotional eating or non-eating is an eating disorder. Now, in this case, emotional eating is binge eating because you're talking about the fact that when you need to process your emotions or escape from your stress, you use food to do that. That's what this says. That's exactly what an eating disorder is. Now, sure, we could argue, oh, but the symptoms don't quite fit the criteria, Katie. You can't technically diagnose someone with it. Well, here's something to think about when it comes to the DSM. And I haven't talked about this yet because... I mean, it's not that exciting, but it's just interesting to know. The APA, the American Psychological Association, has shared that they do not think, now it's not a full statement, they're not, they do not believe that they're ever going to create another DSM. They think that it's not really necessary anymore. It's lacking in a lot of ways. A lot of clinicians do not like using them, the ICD-10s and the DSMs. They're mainly for insurance purposes. So all we really need is numbers to categorize you know, these illnesses, we already have enough symptoms throughout the years that we put together to create the DSM that we can take it from here. And we're like, we're all good, you know? Um, so they may not create another one. And I think that sometimes we think, oh, but this doesn't fit the criteria. So therefore I don't have an eating disorder. Wrong. That's why there have been things through the years like EDNOS, eating disorder not otherwise specified. That was in the DSM that came out before 
I don't even know. Would it have been before 2013? I think so. I think the 2013 one came out with OSFED, which is Otherwise Specified Feeding and Eating Disorders. And those two diagnoses technically mean you have an eating disorder, but it doesn't quite fit the criteria of the ones that we have so far, meaning binge eating disorder, bulimia nervosa, and anorexia nervosa. So it doesn't fit those three. That's all we've got so far, which is three. It falls into that bucket. So you could put orthorexia in there. You could put if you want to call it emotional eating, you could put emotional eating in there. Uh, any kind of disordered eating would fall into that OSFED or what used to be called EDNOS kind of pile, right? And so what's happening here with this person is an eating disorder. It's a binge eating disorder. Now, I know we always think like, oh, binge eating means I have to like sit down and eat a, an entire Thanksgiving meal all for myself. Or we have these like wild thoughts about what that would look like and how much that would have to be. But I'm here to tell you that it's just eating more than most people would eat in a normal amount of time. So like if I sit down to dinner with you and we both order some food from the menu, I eat, let's say three quarters of mine and I'm full and I take the rest home. You would eat yours and you might get another side and then we call it. So it's not, oh my God, I ate so much. You're just like, you ate more than most people would most people will be full by then. And I'm not, I'm just throwing out ideas. This isn't, that's not exactly what it is, right? You know, but I'm just saying that not listening to your hunger fullness cues, eating as a way to cope, that's eating disorder behavior. And so the fact that you're using food um, as an escape to, to the stress and a way of processing emotions, that is like the definition of an eating disorder. Okay. Let's move on to question number three. This question says, hey, Katie, I'm wondering how to make yourself feel better on bad body image days. Also, is it possible to ever really like your recovering body? I often find myself really struggling with body image. And although I can avoid acting on behaviors, at this point, it is really exhausting to constantly hate my body. Thank you so much. And we have, I think, just one one question on this. But there are a couple things we can do. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. I've never had a patient like their recovery body. They've liked it in the future after a while, but the recovering body, like the actively recovering, never like it. And there's a period of for everybody after we're recovered, meaning we're not engaging in eating disorder behavior anymore. We are weight restored. And now we're, you know, just going about our outpatient days doing what we need to do. There's a period there where we'll struggle, but we can come to a place where we can accept it and love it and be proud of all the things our body's done for us. And here's a couple ideas. Now, on bad body image days, I always encourage my patients to have two outfits that are just super comfortable, loose flowing things. Now, this could mean that these are just cozy pants that we wear that could be dressed up or down. There's so many, like, especially because of COVID, it's one of the random silver linings athleisure or what I would call dressy outdoor pajamas are very popular. And so you can find some that you can wear to work or to school or to whatever. And I would encourage you to get a couple outfits like that where you can just wear cozy clothes that don't do not pinch you in places you don't want to be pinched. They're not tight in places that will remind you of anything. And they're just least triggering of clothes that we can put on. Okay. So I encourage you to get some of those. I know that sounds silly, but I'm just, that just tends to work. And also having, if we're still following a meal plan, or even if we're not, having some foods that are just easy for us to get through, that aren't as triggering or difficult, have those available and let's eat those that day to ensure that we stay on our meal plan and stay, you know, 
stay doing what we need to be doing, but without making it any harder. You know, today is not the day to challenge yourself to a new food if, if you struggle with that kind of stuff. So that's another little tip. And when it comes to repairing that relationship, I find this might sound a little woo-woo or a little cheesy to those of you out there, but I've, I even do this periodically, not not by writing it out, but I say it in my head. And that is thanking your body for the things that it's done that day or even in the past. Like for instance, those of you know that Sean and I got COVID mid-March and it was only about last week that I started to feel back to my normal self. So it was about a month. Um, and just the other day, I was kind of in my head being like annoyed with the fact that I was still, you can still tell I'm like still a little stuffy and it was so frustrating. And I was like angry and then I was in the bathroom brushing my teeth and I was like, no, I need to thank my body for like fighting that virus. And I didn't have to go to the hospital. I didn't struggle to catch my breath and I'm, I'm fine. I'm okay. I'm going to be okay. Like, thanks body. Oh my God. Thank you for all that work. Right. Our bodies are working so hard to keep us alive and to do all the things that we need to do every day. Like I can focus and I can answer your questions. Holy shit. Thanks body. Right. Our bodies are doing all of this stuff all day, breathing, seeing, hearing, regulating my blood pressure, my heart rate, uh, dealing with the fact that I like to pick my skin on my face and it's like healing that. Probably like, why are you doing that? I got a sunburn on my shoulders when we were in Corpus last weekend. It's doing that. It's doing all this shit. Yet I'm going to look at it in the mirror and be like, I don't know why your stomach has a roll there. Fuck you. What? Like what? And I'm saying this to you knowing damn well that I do it too. So I'm not immune to it. I just know I'm aware, again, like I've said forever, being a therapist doesn't mean I do things perfectly. It just means I know that I'm fucking up. So I know I'm fucking up when I look in the mirror and I'm like, I can't believe you have cottage cheese on your thighs, Katie, and a roll in your stomach, son of a bitch. Instead of saying, oh my God, I put so much pressure on my brain and my body each and every day to do all this shit and it does it. (gasps) Amazing. And I sleep well and I wake up the next day and I do it all over again and my body just does it. And so reminding yourself of all the shit your body does and writing love letters to your body. Again, I know it's woo-woo, but these love letters are incredibly healing. And when I tell you, I used to run this group at a eating disorder treatment center I worked at for many years called the Body and Soul Group. And that was like most of what we did was write these letters to and from our body and our soul. We would do, you know, kind of uh, somatic types of exercises and stuff like movement in our bodies to kind of release some built up tension, trauma, etc. We would even do like recovery based yoga. But either way, that connection to your body and that appreciation for what it's done, I find to be incredibly healing because instead of trying to get us to accept the dimples on our thighs or the rolls in our stomachs or the the flab, the the shakiness on my arms, Instead of trying to love that, because that's going to be really hard right now, it's better to love my body for the things it allows me to do. And so I encourage you to spend some time just writing some love letters to your body, thanking it for all that it does, because it does a lot. And all we do is talk shit to it and try to punish it for, I don't know, not looking the way that we think it should. And when you think of it that way, sometimes like I giggled there because I like laugh at myself sometimes. I'm like, oh my God, it's doing all this stuff, right? It's fighting a virus. It's helping me focus. It's allowing me to to write a book and to make videos and to talk to each and every one of you and to be connected and to have a relationship. with. It's allowing me to do all this shit. Yet I look in the mirror and I'm like, why do you have a pimple there, idiot? 
like what it's doing its best so I remind I want to remind myself while I remind all of you to show yourself some love and that doesn't have to be through fakely saying I'm beautiful and I love everything about myself it's more about thanking our body for what it does and for sticking with us through all that we've put it through and building that relationship I like to think of the body image that I have is like a relationship and it can be toxic at times and it can be better, but it's all dependent on me and how I want to communicate to that body of mine. And so, yeah, that's really my advice. Take some time, write some letters. It'll slowly shift and improve that relationship. Now there was a comment on this and it says, I can totally relate. And I want to get to the point where I just don't care so much or spend so much time thinking about my body because deep down, I know that it doesn't matter. However, I find that my body image or that body image still does trigger behaviors as I get a, as I get to a certain point in recovery. Then I have overwhelming panic about shape, weight, size, and relapse. How can I move past this fear and discomfort so I can keep going with recovery? It's Again, it's right what I'm talking about. It's that relationship and we have to start somewhere. And that's why I really encourage you to start writing these letters. Start improving the relationship or the conversation at least that you have with yourself and your body. And a book that I've recommended to many members of our community, and I cannot recommend it enough when it comes to body image especially, is um, called Eating in the Light of the Moon. And I think her name is Angela Johnson, but let me see. Um, it's Her last name is Anita Johnston. Um, she's the author. So Anita, A-N-I-T-A, Johnston, J O. H-N-S-T-O-N. It's in my Amazon store. So you can go to amazon.com forward slash shop forward slash Katie Morton. And it's there and you can click and buy. Um, Cannot recommend that book enough. It is definitely a little woo woo and it's told through kind of like fables. But when I tell you it's life changing, I mean it. It's one of the books I personally have read over and over. I find it incredibly healing and wonderful. I cannot recommend it enough, especially with the relationship of um, like our body and soul and uh, like getting that connection back, that book can be a catalyst for that, I believe. So check in on that and give that a good, get a read. I think that'll be totally worth your time. Okay. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well... That's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Moving on to question number four. This question says, hi, Katie. I was wondering why I want to get sicker for my therapist. Hmm. 
I opened up to her, sort of, about my eating disorder, and I told her I wasn't too keen on recovering at the moment. And she said that she understood and that she wouldn't force me. I know talking about it is inevitable, but I try not to think about it. I've gotten so tired of my eating disorder, anorexia. And every time I think about maybe eating, I think of her. And and I don't. I think I make my eating disorder worse for her validation, possibly. It's possible. I don't know why I do this, and I'd like some insight. Thanks for all that you do. Okay, so the truth about this is it's most likely related to attachment and possibly even just a conversation we have with ourselves about our issues being valid. So some of my patients will want to stay sick so they can keep seeing me because they don't want to lose me. And that can be a borderline personality disorder or BPD related. Remember, one of the key components of that diagnosis is extreme fear of abandonment. And so the thought that they might not be able to come see me anymore will keep them sick sometimes. And that's something that we have to check in on. And that's also closely linked to like attachment. And that's kind of part of it, right? Doesn't mean we have BPD, but I'm just saying that could be from there. Could also be part of our um, issues with attachment from childhood. Now, remember how important that first year of our life is and having a, a mother, a father, a caretaker that comes when we cries and takes care of us and soothes us and helps us build that safe foundation in our life to know that we can go out into the world and explore and try new things and challenge ourselves while having that, I guess, awareness that we can come back to that solid foundation and be okay. It's having that safe haven and that that safe place. And if we don't get that, that can leave us looking in our world to make that happen through other people. Therapists often fall into that bucket because for for many people, your therapist is the first person who's listened to you, who's validated you and has supported you maybe in your whole life or maybe in a long time. And that connection and that validation can be extremely healing and extremely necessary. And so we can struggle to not to not not <laughs> want to lose them, right? It's like we we just want to keep them around all the time and that issue with attachment is going to play out here. And so letting your therapist know that this is coming up is honestly my best advice for it because it's helpful information. Now, as a therapist, we see this all the time. This isn't new and it's kind of a form of transference where we're, well, I don't know if, it depends on how you're reacting around her, but this urge to keep her around and to have her in your life I believe is a tra- is a transfer of the relationship that we wished we'd had with our caretaker. So I feel like it's like we're trying to put that out in there to make it happen. And so anyways, um, all that to say, talk to your therapist about it. Let her know that this is happening and even be curious, not judgmental with yourself about why you think it's coming up for you. I've mentioned a few possible reasons. Do any of those resonate with you? Um, or any of them, you're like, hmm, maybe, then can we be a detective? Can we dig into it and see what's there? No pressure to have an answer right away, but it's important and good for us to be at least curious about it so we can learn, so then we can tell our therapist what we know, so then we can work to heal. Because that could be through inner child work, that could be through some DBT, uh, dialectal behavior therapy, um, like tools, techniques, and things like that to help us if BPD is what we're struggling with. Or maybe we have some symptoms of BPD, but not the full diagnosis. DBT can be helpful there as well. Um, Yeah, let her know what's happening. And it could be part of, yeah, attachment and validations big on big there, especially if we didn't get it from someone that we, you know, our caretaker, maybe it was emotional neglect that we 
dealt with as a kid? I don't know, right? We have to be curious, not judgmental and figure it out. Now there's a comment on this and it says, this is part of the reason that I'm stuck. And I guess as an Adam, how can someone get out of this mindset? It's just figuring out where it's coming from. And I know I say just, and I don't mean that to downplay the difficulty in figuring this out, but allow yourself to be curious. Notice when it comes up, talk to your therapist about it. Consider your relationship with other people in your life that were supposed to be there for you. This could be, um, like I said, mother, father, it could be grandmother, aunt, sister, could be one of our first teachers or our nanny, could be anybody that when we were little, when we were younger, they were responsible uh, for us and taking care of us. Or maybe something happened that was jarring later in our life and the person that we thought someone was, they weren't, right? Like we could have um, a, a parent, let's say our mom, we found out was like cheating on our dad the whole time and has a whole, has like kids with this other person too. And we didn't know or our brother's not actually, re, uh, our full brother is a half brother. There could be all sorts of where you feel like your world explodes. And that can be why we might want to keep our therapist around. We want them to be our like replacement mom or what we would call like a good enough mother. Um, and so being curious and not judgmental about how we've processed things in our life, what role we think our therapist kind of plays for us. Where do we want, where do we want them to be? Do we find ourselves wanting to see them all the time or wish that we could just call them and have dinner with them all the time? Like consider those things. No, that doesn't make you weird. There's nothing wrong with you. It's very, very common, but it's important that we notice it's happening and we acknowledge it and talk to our therapist about it because then the reasons that we kind of think it's happening, that's what we can do. We have to heal that. So Meaning that if the reason was that our mom, let's say, had to work all the time, we were raised by a nanny or we were home a lot, like maybe we were a latchkey kid, meaning we like got home from school on our own and we're by ourselves and that just was like always, you know, we don't ever remember a time when our parent was home when, you know, when we were a kid like that. And that can be hard and we can feel very neglected and that could make be a reason we want our therapist around all the time. Or maybe, you know, um, we, our parents had addiction problems or maybe had a mental illness or reasons that they couldn't be there for us emotionally or physically in the way that we needed. And being curious about that can help give us kind of a path in toward healing. Does that make sense? I hope so. Okay, moving on to question number five. It says, hey, Katie, I'd like to know where the line is between just being an extremely picky eater and actually having an eating disorder. Now, someone commented on this and essentially said what I'm going to say, and that's what I love about all of you is you, you know it too. So the real answer is it's all in the reason that we do it. Now, a picky eater is just a picky eater. I don't like the texture. I don't like, um, like I had a, I mean, I guess this person did also have an eating disorder, but let me think a different, I had a friend growing up in uh, probably like elementary school to middle school. We were like best buds and she was super picky and she didn't have an eating disorder. It had nothing to do with what the food was. It was textures. And part of me now wonders if maybe she was on the spectrum, like an ASD, like are autistic in some way, because there's other things that she had issues with later um, as well. But the texture was really important to her. And so certain foods she just wouldn't eat because of the texture. And again, had nothing to do with feelings about it, thoughts about it. It was just specifically to that. And so if you find yourself being a picky eater, you just don't really like certain things. You're very particular, but it has nothing to do with your emotional state, has nothing to do with um, any kind of numb out that we're trying to do from things that are coming up in our past. Again, it's kind of tied to that emotional state. So it's really 
we could talk about emotional state in many ways, right? It could be a trauma in our past, right? Because that's going to affect our emotional state today. It could be, um, you know, our stress level because of work or school or whatever, and that's going to affect our emotional state, right? We we could just not have enough coping skills to manage what's coming up for us. And so we use food as a way to cope. That's what an eating disorder is. And if your picky eaterness isn't just something that like, oh, I just don't like things that are mushy. That's fine. I would say that that's not an eating disorder. But if you say, I just don't like these things, that thing. And today I just don't feel like eating anything because I feel so stressed out or I'm just too, I'm just too, I don't know, depressed to eat or I'm too even excited, too excited to eat. If we just let our emotional state completely affect our ability to eat food and we don't eat or do eat as a way to soothe those feelings, meaning to calm us down or to help us feel better, that's an eating disorder. So that's really the difference is what's what's the, the why? Why are you not eating that thing? What's the motive behind it? And only you know. So you have to be honest with yourself because I can ask you these questions and if you don't want to be honest and you're like, oh, I just, you know, I don't like spicy things and if anything has spice, I don't like it. I'll believe you. I'll say, okay. And so it's just, it's more a pickiness because you don't like spicy food and that's fair. Um, but if you really know that you're saying that as a means to not eat, even though you're, you are hungry and it actually has nothing to do with spicy food, like I'm not going to know that only you are. So be honest with yourself and ask yourself, what's the motive behind this picky eating? And a great way, if you're maybe even not sure, a great way to know is has it shifted over time? Has it gotten worse? Because like, for instance, I had a patient once who just did not like uh, butter. And I immediately was like, well, that's an eating, because she, she did have an eating disorder. I was like, well, that's part of your eating disorder. And she was like, no, I don't mind any other kind of oil or grease or it has nothing to do with the fat content of butter. It's the the flavor and the texture having to spread. It just kind of grosses me out. And so I was like, okay, well, I want you to eat your toast then with, um, you know, you need to use all of this olive oil. And I put, you know, some olive oil. And she was like, okay. And that was no problem. So the butter had nothing to do with like the fat content or anything like that. It was specific. And so you just have to see. So that was how she started. And then her mom had told me when she came into treatment, she had like 20 things she couldn't eat. But as we went through those 20 things, the butter was the only one that stood. The rest were eating disorder based. And so you just have to kind of notice, has it shifted over time? Did it start out with just like, I don't like uh, this one or two things. And now it's like 30 things. Like pay attention because I find if the, what you're picky about moves too much around, it has a higher likelihood of being eating disorder based because people who just don't like certain things just don't like certain things, you know, like I'm not a huge fan of cooked carrots don't really like them. That's it. I just, that's like a picky thing, you know, but it hasn't changed as I've gotten older at all. Or, you know, when I was a kid, I never really liked them either. So, ta-da. Um, so pay attention to that. Okay. Let's move on to question number six. This is, Hey Katie, happy Thursday. Happy Thursday. I was wondering if you could talk more about memory loss and eating disorders. My therapist has brought it up that my memory issues could be because of anorexia. What does she mean? How does this happen? I feel so stupid because I forgot the slightest things constantly. Is it really because of my eating disorder? I'm only 15. Could this put permanent memory issues on my brain? I thought this was a great question. And the truth is, our brain needs a lot of energy. Yes, energy, which is another word for calories or food or whatever you want to call it. 
we use energy in the eating disorder world to not trigger people so much, but I just want to cut to the shit for you guys and tell you that's what we mean. Your brain needs a lot of food to function. Therefore, when we're malnourished, concentration's the first thing to go and memory production. Now, I, I'd have to pull up like research articles and you feel free to Google and fact check me on this, but I am telling you memory function. Think, think of this. Think of days when you didn't eat enough or you didn't get enough sleep. Our ability to focus is impaired, right? If I'm really, really hungry, let's just stick straight to the food since this is eating disorder based question. If I'm really, really hungry and you're trying to talk to me about new research in the realm of trauma, I'll try to listen to you, but all I can think about is eating. And the reason that our brain and body do this is because our body needs to procure food, right? It's focused on food because it needs it to survive. And in Maslow's hierarchy of needs, if you don't know Maslow's hierarchy of needs, I'll I'll, like look it up. It's M-A-S-L-O-W-S, I think, Maslow. Let me look it up. Yep. M-A-S-L-O-W apostrophe S, hierarchy of needs. Now, simply put, the base of our hierarchy of needs are like physiological. So like air, water, food, shelter, like the bare basic needs with for us to survive. And if that base, that foundation isn't fulfilled, that's all we can focus on because it's going to keep us alive, right? If I don't have air, water, food, or shelter, I might die. And if you haven't recognized this throughout the years of me talking about this, our bodies are primed to help us survive. Hence why uh, our trauma response, our fight, flight, freeze response, when it's triggered, our prefrontal cortex goes offline because we don't need to have organized, well put together thoughts. We just need to fucking save our ass and get out of there, right? And so our body prioritizes safety, safety overall. And so if we don't have that bare foundation of needs met, That's all it's going to think about because until those needs are met, it can't move on to the next level, which let me pull that up. I forget what it's like. Oh, it's safety. So personal security, employment, resources, health, property. We can't even move on to that. And if you're wondering, then it goes into like belonging and love and then esteem needs and then self-actualization, I believe is that top part where it's like you achieve your full potential, you know, um, But those basic needs aren't getting met when we have an eating disorder because we aren't fed. We don't have that met. And so our brain and body aren't going to, it's not moving past that. That's all it's going to focus on. And therefore, when we're focused on only getting, like procuring, getting food, we aren't going to be able to form memory about other things going on because we're just not focused. We can't concentrate. Our brain doesn't have the energy. And the only things it's putting energy toward is food procurement that makes sense? I hope so. Um, now, is it long-term? Not if we don't, you know, it won't be if we feed ourselves. Will we be able to recall memories all of a sudden when we finally start eating? It depends. Sometimes those memories just don't exist. It's almost like trauma memories. When we're dissociated, we're not present. Some of those memories never get formed. So it's not even just repression. It's like those memories don't exist. Now, If our brain isn't able to concentrate or focus and we don't have memory of certain situations, does that mean that the memory is like repressed? Probably not. It probably just doesn't exist for that time. But that doesn't mean we can't fix it today to move forward. So I don't, but I do know malnourishment can affect us long term in a lot of ways. I don't talk about it that much because I don't find health, uh, 
I don't even know what you'd call it, but I guess like the results of an eating disorder when it's a restrictive or even an uh, overeating eating disorder, talking about the physical and mental long-term effects of having eating disorder, I don't find that to be a, a huge motivator. A scare tactics have never worked with me or my patients. I've never found it to be effective. So I don't focus on it that much, but there are a ton of them. Everything from obviously like diabetes, high blood pressure, heart attacks, high cholesterol, things like that, from an hypertension, we can also have heart attacks, um, nerve damage, muscle atrophy, um, yeah, electrolyte levels, which can cause heart attacks and yeah, hair loss, uh, teeth can fall out, all sorts of things, uh, osteoporosis. There can be a lot of different physical health effects. Um, okay, but I don't, again, I don't find that to be very motivating, but just know that they're there. Now, that's why you have memory loss. That's because your body isn't fed as much as it needs. Your brain needs a lot of energy. I'll never forget um, when I was studying for my my licensing exam and even my finals in graduate school. I remember one of my uh, teachers at the time was like, make sure you're eating, you know, like more fatty foods. She's like, not like fried foods necessarily, unless that's what you're craving, but like lots of avocado, lots of cheese and meats. If you, you know, eat meat, Uh, making sure you're feeding yourself fully because your brain needs a lot of that good, those good fats to help you focus. And when I tell you that eating more avocado and eating all the things she was saying versus not was like life-changing. Like when she said that, I'm like, yeah, 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 yeah. And I paid attention one day when I just, I don't even know what I ate to be honest, but let's just say not as fatty of foods and not, I wasn't as full. I wasn't eating as regularly because I was like, no, sometimes I used to do this thing where I was like, I'll eat lunch when I finish this one chapter, right? And I'll push through that last chapter. I'd have to repeat, read it, like go over it again after I'd eaten because I couldn't focus. And then when I was feeding myself more and eating more fatty foods, my focus was better, my concentration and my memory recall. And there's also a whole bunch of studies to prove like how much sleep we need so that those things that we just learned can actually be like put into long-term memory, almost like they need to be fully formed, um, fully formed key learnings, right? In order for it to sink in, so to speak. Um, anyway, so there's a lot of reasons that our brain is attached to that. And the the feeding of our bodies is important for our brain functionality as well. So yeah, that it is because of your eating disorder. And also there could be other reasons too. I don't ever want to rule out what we call like organic causes, meaning, you know, you should go to your regular doctor, get some blood work, get a physical just to make sure everything else is okay. Because when we have other symptoms, I always at least want to be able to say, we checked that out. It's not that so that we know it is, you know, eating disorder driven. Let's move on to question number seven. This question says, hi, Katie, why is it so hard to let go of the romanticized image in my head of the quote unquote perfect anorexic? And how can I learn to let it go? I'm choosing for recovery at the moment, but only with the thought in mind that I never want to let go fully. And I'm always able to go back to my eating disorder habits. This is interesting. We can dig into this. It's hard to let go of that idea of my quote unquote fullest potential and to think that I'd never be sick enough and perfect if I keep choosing recovery. I don't want to describe describe the very image that I have because I don't want to trigger anyone, but I'm sure that you can imagine what it is that I mean. I hope my question isn't too vague. English isn't my first language, so I hope you understand your English is impeccable. Lots of love. Okay. The interesting thing about this, I I always compare this with my patients to like suicidal thoughts and plans. It's the reason that we don't want to get rid of some of the means that we have to harm ourselves. This is the, I don't want to let go of it. I can always go back to it. 
we hold on to coping skills um, in this way. Like this perfect anorexic spoilers doesn't exist. And your eating disorder is fucking lying to you. Cause even when you get to the point that you already right now think is the perfect anorexic, you'll look in the mirror or look at the scale and be like, Nope, not there yet. It's never good enough. It always bullshits you. And that's why it's the most deadly mental illness. Okay. I just had to put that out there. I know that was tough love, Katie, but eating disorders are stupid lying motherfuckers. Okay. But we hold on to this thought or this belief that, well, I can just go back to it, right? Same with the suicidal uh, plans. Well, I can just use this thing or do that. I could always end it if I needed to. And it's like a security or safety thing. And the reason for that is because we still haven't fully processed or coped with the reason it exists in the first place. Suicidal thoughts don't come out of nowhere. Eating disorders don't exist for no reason, right? They have a purpose. There's something going on. We're trying to numb out using, well, in this, uh, she says anorexia. So in this case, we're restricting our food intake as a way to either numb out or giving us something else to focus on instead of what's actually going on. So whatever is actually going on hasn't been dealt with yet, or you're in the process and we're not finished with it yet. And that's why it's still hanging on. That's why you're still telling yourself there is something such as a perfect anorexic. Spoilers, there's not. But um, we won't be able to let that go until the eating disorder really has no purpose to serve. And that could mean that we like, you know, like I've talked about throughout this whole podcast is like that could be the inner child work. That could be the trauma processing, which could be part of that inner child work. It could be um, part of us having better tools to manage our stress or overwhelm that could be processing through some of the unhealthy family dynamics we had growing up. Like maybe our dad was really weird about food or our mom or our sister, or maybe, you know, it was the only way we got attention. I don't know. Where did it come from? Is it attachment based? Once we figured out like why it exists and then we work to not it's like healing it really. It's not like fixing it because you don't really fix anything. You just heal it and you move forward with new, healthier ways to manage life's ups and downs. And so once, until we do that, we're going to still want to hold on to it. And yeah, you'll, otherwise it'll always have a purpose to serve. Okay. I hope that makes sense. I know I say that a lot, but I always hope it makes sense. Now let's move on to question number eight. I'm sorry. My schnoz is itching. I think I got like a, do you ever put blush on with a brush on? I I think one of the little. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. Pieces of the brushes out here. Okay. Question number eight says, hi, Katie. As a medically obese slash overweight person who struggles with disordered eating, uh, in parentheses says restriction and binge purge cycles, what are some healthy and effective ways to manage weight loss while not slipping back into dangerous habits? I want to lose weight and I think it would improve my body image, but sometimes it's too easy to practice dangerous things because in my head, I won't starve to death because I have plenty of weight to lose before it gets risky. Thank you. That's not true, by the way. Um, we can be all sorts of different weights and still, if we're not eating enough, and I won't get into this too much because again, I know this doesn't, isn't really helpful, 
But not eating enough or purging can affect our potassium levels and our electrolyte levels, and that can cause us to have a heart attack. Um, Not to mention when we're not eating enough, our body eats some of the fat, but it also eats our muscle, and our heart is a muscle, and it can cause a heart attack. So just know that you cannot, it, it can be dangerous at any weight. Okay. Now, how do we lose weight without slipping back into dangerous habits? We don't focus on the weight loss. The weight loss is never the goal. I know that that like goes against everything our diet world tells us and marketing. They've spent billions and billions of dollars over the years telling us that weight loss is good and we have to look this certain way in order to be healthy. I'm here to tell you that's all bullshit. And what your focus should be on is actually improving your relationship with your body and food. That's the goal being more intuitive about what we eat. There's no good or bad foods. I don't want you saying you can't eat X, Y, or Z and you can only eat this other stuff because what's going to happen is when we get into that black and white, all or nothing thinking, aka the diet mentality, we're going to swing back into eating disorder behaviors. Hello, binge restrict cycle. We restrict, restrict. I can only eat salads. Salads are healthy. I can only eat those. Oh, well, guess what? Sometimes you crave some, I don't know, fries or some a sandwich, something different. And that's all you can think about. And then when we finally allow ourselves to have it, we do this black and white thing where we're like, well, today's fucked. So I'll just binge today and then I'll start over again tomorrow with a clean slate, restrict again. And that we just go round and round. And so I, I cannot encourage you enough to see a therapist and a dietitian if you can afford one, but please see someone, get some outside support as you work to heal that relationship with your body. Um, this can be through the Intuitive Eating Workbook is a beautiful way to start. You can get it on um, Amazon. We use it with your dietitian and your therapist. And also Eating in the Light of the Moon, again, is another book to that's really great about body image and the conversation we have with ourselves and that kind of body-soul connection. And I want you instead of can even I, I first of all throw your scale away. That's not necessary. If any of you have a scale, it's when do we need to know how much we weigh? I've talked about this before. The only time we really need to know how much we weigh is when we're bungee jumping or maybe getting on a ride that has like a weight limit. I don't know. That's about it. We really don't need to know. So toss it. Uh your doctor can weigh you at the when you go in for your physicals. And instead, focus on how you feel. Focus on eating regularly every three to four hours, having a, a snack or a meal. Noticing when you're hungry, when you're full, checking in on your emotional hunger and fullness as well. Those are all really key ways for us to improve the relationship we have with our bodies and a way to heal heal that relationship and also heal our body. Because physically, we will change as we improve that relationship. Maybe that includes weight loss. Maybe not. That actually doesn't matter. And I know a lot of you are thinking, well, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm obese. I'm overweight it's still an eating disorder and I'm going to treat it just the same. Sure. Maybe your doctor says, oh, you should lose weight. I don't really care. That's a medical model. That's, that doesn't, in, that doesn't take into consideration our psychological reason for restricting, binging, purging, whatever it is. And if we don't fix that psychological reason, it will continue to come up or it will come out in another way through self-injury, other addiction, like I said, like shopping, sex, uh, gambling, all sorts of things. So we have to treat it at the root. Improve that the way you talk to yourself. Uh, maybe, you know, like I said, throw out your scale. If having mirrors up everywhere is really triggering, cover them with some other motivational somethings. Um, I had a patient years ago, we bought her a uh, 
it was like a little journal kind of thing that just had a bunch of motivational quotes and we cut all the pages out and put them all over her mirrors so that all she could see was her face to make sure nothing was in her teeth right um but not no full length mirrors anymore because it was too triggering and i'm sure i forget how long but let's say six months later i'm sure you know she pulled those things off and it wasn't as bad but we have to protect ourselves and give ourselves the environment needed to heal because it's not about the weight loss it's more about the relationship with food and our body let's move on to our final question question number nine says hi katie i am overweight and i'm having health problems due to my weight and have started exercising and changing my diet good for you I have been struggling because I'm becoming very hyper aware of calories and my weight and fixating on people's praises for my weight loss. Uh Oh, how do I continue to make progress without this developing into an eating disorder? Thank you. I'm suspicious of whether we've always had an eating disorder or not. And so I'd want you to do some kind of like inventory where you just be curious again, not judgmental, just curious about your relationship with food and your body. Like what caused you to be overweight in the past? Do we think that that was because we were overeating? Were we using food as a way to cope and now we just switched into another way to cope? Just be curious. I'm not saying that that's for sure, but I'm suspicious. I have a couple red flags coming up. Um, and, and then again, I would focus. I wouldn't weigh myself anymore. I'd focus on how I feel and I'd focus on being more intuitive with how I eat and what I eat and when I exercise and when I give my body rest. Um, again, the intuitive eating workbook and eating in the light of the moon, both beautiful books. Again, in my Amazon store, amazon.com forward slash shop forward slash Katie Morton. Um, you can get in there and they're in there so you don't have to find them. That would really, really help because the question of how do I continue to make progress without it developing into an eating disorder? Well, we have to figure out if we have had an eating disorder and what purpose that would serve and like why we would make that shift because, and I'd encourage you, honestly, I mean, obviously everyone can benefit from therapy, but I think when we're trying to make some big lifestyle changes, I find therapy to be a very key component in that to assure ourselves or not only to have a safe place to process and talk about everything that's coming up, but also to ensure that we're doing it healthfully and mindfully and not just switching one for the other. Because we can, if we, because if we were overweight and we had, we were binging more, let's say we had binge eating disorder, eating disorders are sneaky motherfuckers and they will just shape shift into another one. And now we could be struggling with, I don't know, bulimia or anorexia. And so it can kind of switch over And I want to make sure that's not happening. And so I think talking with a therapist, being honest about where you're at and what your, what your experience was prior to, you know, making this shift, um, will all be key in helping you manage this without things maybe, um, you know, developing into an eating disorder. It sounds to me like there might already be something there. So I'd be, I'm just a little curious, but, um, do your own digging and those two books that I mentioned, I think can really, really be beneficial. Yeah, that's, that's really it. And then there's a comment on this says, hi, Katie, I have a similar situation. I've been overweight for years and have recently started making changes to get healthy, even reversing pre-diabetes. Yay. That's wonderful. I'm glad for you because that's, that's a health issue, right? That can cause a lot of other issues, but where is the line between restricting and binging and carb cycling, intermittent fasting and OMAD? I had to look up OMAD. It's one meal a day. And I think that's fucking bullshit or alternate, alternate day fasting help. Um, diets are bullshit. 
I don't know how to tell you guys this in any kind of way other than that. Diets are bullshit. We have to figure out our relationship with food could be um, using it to cope. And alcohol is part of that as well. A lot of times because alcohol can be, you know, calorically dense. And so it's figuring out, are we using food and alcohol as a way to numb out? Or are we using it as a way to cope with something that's coming up? Because if we were heavy before for years and now you've made some changes, it's good to make some healthy changes. These can be healthy lifestyle changes. Like I'm going to be more mindful when I eat so that I eat when I'm hungry and I stop when I'm full. And also our bodies are meant to move. So we should be trying to get like 30 minutes of some kind of movement. Not every day, but let's shoot for like three days a week maybe five if we feel like it. Keeping that movement can not only be freeing to that freeze state that we can be in if we have trauma in our past, but it's also good for our heart and it's it's good for our muscles. It's good for our bodies. Now, is that extreme? No. Um, if all we do for movement is walk around the block, that's great. We need to move our bodies a little bit and we need to eat when we're hungry and stop when we're full. I know that's it's not very sexy. That doesn't sell a lot of books or a lot of diet plans, right? Because it's not a diet. It's uh, just uh, being more aware of our bodies and tapping in instead of checking out. And it's a disconnection between brain and body that leads us into these, you know, binge restrict type cycles. And so all, and I, and this is the last thing I'll say. So carb cycling, intermittent, and why do we call it intermittent fasting? Just call it starving yourself. You're skipping meals. It's bullshit. I don't believe in it and I will not support it. And OMAD, one meal a day, they can fuck right off with that bullshit are you satiated? Are you eating enough? Probably not. Are you thinking about food all day because you're fucking starving? Probably. I hate all this trash. Alternate day fasting? Absolutely not. You know what I like? Eating when you're hungry, stopping when you're full, and fuck all that diet bullshit. All it does is tell us what we cannot have. It's so restrictive. It's like an eating disorder in a box. They're just trying to give it to you to tell you that that's the only way you can be valuable. You can look a certain way, be, I don't know, a good member of society. And I'm here to tell you that that's just not the truth. That's not it. We don't have to restrict ourselves in order to live a healthy life. Are we going to have, you know, this perfect swimsuit model, beach body, bodybuilder, whatever kind of look we're going for by doing that? No. Why? Because our body's not their body. My body's different. I'm also almost 40. We're all different ages. We all have different bodies. We have different genetic makeups. And when people get photos taken, they are edited. They also may have some eating disorder behavior, restricted water. One of my friends back in the day used to do like bodybuilding stuff. And he was telling me they don't drink water like leading up to it so that their muscles show more. What? So that's dangerous. There. I'm just saying this to say that like, that's bullshit. That's not real life. Um, Our bodies are going to be different. I hate to tell you. I'm sorry. I know, you know, we can think it's so motivating to put up photos of these people, but they don't really exist. And healthy life leads to a healthy body. And we don't have to fight against it so hard. I know that that's what our society tells us, but diets are bullshit. That carb cycling, intermittent fasting, that's like, stupid, 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 more stupid. Let's not do that. Instead, let's get the intuitive eating workbook or some kind of form of that and allow yourself to have all foods. Foods don't have values. There's not good and bad food. Trust me, if I told you, what would people always consider a bad food? Like fries and pizza maybe? If I told you that's all you can eat, breakfast, lunch, and dinner, today, tomorrow, the next, by 
honestly, day one, you'd be like, I don't want that anymore. I want something different, right? Our bodies crave variety. Make sure you're eating a protein, a carb, a veggie, or a fruit, or, you know, mix up what you're eating every three to four hours. And believe me when I tell you, you will feel better. Our bodies need a variety of foods. It's we're Sure, you can have French fries and pizza. You're just not going to want it every day. And that fear that our diet world has told us about like, well, you can't have it. You know, if you have it, then you're going to want it. You're never going to think of anything else. That's bullshit. That's black and white thinking. That's just simply not true. If I told you you had to eat chocolate bars for all three meals every day, would you want that? Nope. Like one meal in, you'd be like, I am not satiated and this is not good. Or if I told you you can only have salads, same thing. We need variety. So don't believe that diet bullshit of can't have carbs, can't have sugars, have to eat every this time, can't eat for 16 hours or whatever the fuck they're telling you. It's all bullshit. It's all meant to sell more programs and books and make you feel bad about yourself because fear is an incredible motivator to get us to purchase and to do things. And if we fear that we're not going to be accepted or we fear that people are going to think we're ugly or fat or lazy or whatever, then we'll do things and we'll buy things. And it really, frankly, pisses me off. And you all are wonderful, lovely people who deserve to be able to eat when you're hungry, stop when you're full and stop judging yourself for it because our bodies are all different, you know? Um, Yeah. Okay, I'm off of my soapbox. Thank you for listening. <laughs> Thank you for watching. I hope you found this helpful. And if you have any feedback, I'm always open to it in the comments. You guys know um, I'm asking for questions on Sundays. If you are new here over on the podcast channel on YouTube, so you can go to YouTube, Opinions That Don't Matter is uh, Sean and I's podcast channel. That's where these live. If you're watching this on YouTube, you're already there. You go to the community tab. I ask for your questions. Um, I've been doing them kind of in the middle of the day on Sundays now just to give everyone an opportunity to get their questions in. And I think that's about it. Share it. Give it a a five-star review over on, you know, where I guess Apple Podcasts or wherever you can review podcasts. I love you all. Have a wonderful rest of your week. And I'll see you next time. Ask her about your therapist or vent about your work. You can ask her about your self-esteem or why your feelings hurt. You can ask her why breakups suck or why you've hit a plateau. Inquire all those questions you've always wanted to know.